I'm so I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I'm so glad you're here at the last RUF of the of this semester. I hope you had a good week, a good break. I, I want to tell you, I'm really thankful for you. I'm really thankful for this community with the relationships that I have with many of you, for the ways that I see God at work in you and through you on this campus. I'm really grateful. So thanks for thanks for being a part of the the journey that God has had us on this semester in RUF. We're finishing up the series that we've been going through all semester in the Gospel of John called Jesus Gives Us Life. Because the claim of the Bible is that the thing that you really want, a life of meaning and purpose and goodness and truth, you can have it. It's actually offered to you in Christ. And so we've looked at different aspects of this life that Jesus, who says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full, aspects of the life that Jesus has come to give us. He's come to give us a life of joy, a life of worship, a life of power, a life of unity. Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, how Jesus gives us a life of transformation. And I want to kind of catch you up to where and remind you where we are in the, in the gospel story. We spent a, we spent a couple of weeks uh, looking at uh, Jesus in the, in the upper room. Jesus with, having dinner with his disciples his last night on earth before he was betrayed. That's the night where the Last Supper happens. That's the night where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, which we spent a week talking about. And, and one of the things that uh, happens on that night is that Jesus tells his disciples uh, that he is going somewhere where they cannot follow and that they're going to be scattered. And one of them, Peter, speaks up. Peter is the most exuberant, the most enthusiastic of Jesus' friends and disciples and followers. And Peter says, everyone might turn away from you, but not me. I will follow you even to death. And then later on, after Jesus goes into the garden and prays, he's arrested because one of his best friends, Judas, betrays him. And he's uh, dragged away by soldiers and religious leaders of the synagogue of the temple. And Jesus is mocked and he's mistreated. He's tortured and eventually he's brutally murdered. And one of the things that happens uh, while all this is going on, is while Jesus is being questioned and while he's being beaten, is that Peter is outside trying to get close to know what's going on. And three different times he kind of has his chance to show that what he said, that he would never turn away from Jesus, is true. And people are, are noticing him. They're saying, hey, aren't, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Aren't you one of the disciples? And three times he fails. He says, no, it, it wasn't me. And eventually Jesus is killed. And then two weeks ago we talked about how Mary, three, three days after Jesus died, goes out to the tomb to, to attend to his body. And, and when she gets there, it's empty. And she's wondering where they put the body of Jesus. And she sees this man coming through the morning mist. And she thinks it might be the gardener. And then... She hears him call her voice, call, call on his voice, her, her name, Mary, and she knows it's the Lord and that he's alive. The story we're looking at this evening is, is a couple days after this. Uh, and it follows this kind of bizarre sequence where some of the disciples have gone back to doing what they did before they even met Jesus three years before. They're fishing. They're in a boat about 100 yards off the shore. And uh, they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught a single fish. And they uh, see this hazy shape of a man on the shore shouting at them to let down their nets on the other side of the boat. And when they do, they immediately catch so much fish that the boat start to, start to sink. 
and Peter realizes it's Jesus. And so like in full clothes, he dives into the water and swims to Jesus. And eventually the rest of the disciples bring the boat and all the fish, and they find Jesus, and he's made this fire on the beach, and he's roasting fish for them, and he feeds them breakfast. And then it's right after that that we have this conversation between Jesus and Peter that we're looking at tonight. This is at the end of breakfast. So if you have your handout or if you have your Bible or your device, we're looking at John 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this night. Uh, We need you in so many ways. Coming back from break and feeling behind and the cloud of final projects and exams uh, coming down the pipeline at us. Please help us to rest in you tonight. I pray that you would be at work through your words, that we might love you more and love each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this evening by asking you to try to imagine what Peter must have been feeling during this breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Peter, who is the best of the best of the best, the most committed, the most loyal, the most devoted of Jesus' disciples, and who had proclaimed that he would be the most faithful. Proclaimed that he would never turn away. Proclaimed that he would never let him down. And then when the rubber meets the road, and he finally has his chance to show that he's willing to follow Jesus, even to death, he chokes. He's scared of the consequences. He's self-interested. He's worried about his own safety. And so he does the very thing he promised not to do. He turns his back. He denies his Savior. And now they're sitting at breakfast together by the fire after Jesus has died and been risen from the dead. I I imagine Peter with his head down and his eyes on the sand, stealing these sideways glances at Jesus, just wondering, like, is Jesus going to mention that thing that happened? The elephant in the room? Does he still care about me? Does he still like me? Does he still want to be my friend? Does he still love me? Can you feel the heat in his cheeks? And the swollenness in his eyes from where he's been crying about it? Can you feel the tightness in his chest and the churning in his stomach? Can, can you feel his failure? 
We come to this story looking at Peter, who by all accounts is one of the great heroes of the faith. And in this moment, he comes to Jesus as a failure. As someone who didn't have what it takes. As someone who dropped the ball, who let the Lord down. Uh, If you're in this room, if you're a part of this campus, that means that for most of your life, you've done a pretty good job not being a failure. You you succeeded at most of the things that you've done. You've probably succeeded in school. You've probably succeeded socially. You've probably succeeded in your extracurriculars. You've probably succeeded uh, in athletics. You've probably succeeded in interviews and applications. That's how you got here, right? I think one of the things that we are most terrified of is failure. We're, we're terrified that when I mean, we, we got here, we got into WNL, and we were top of the heat back home, but what if we're not here? What if on orientation when they tell you to look around and notice that 90% of you aren't going to be in the top 10% anymore? <clears throat> what if that's me? We're, we're terrified that we're not actually ever going to get a cool summer internship, and we're going to have to be a barista or a lifeguard, or a waiter, and everyone's going to look down on us. We're afraid we're going to get to graduation and have to tell people, yeah, I'm just I'm moving back home, just working on job applications. I don't have anything lined up yet. We're terrified we won't get into med school. We won't get into law school. We won't get the job in New York or D.C. that we want. We're, we're terrified that when Rush comes along, we're going to be one of those people who slips through the cracks and doesn't have a spot. We're afraid of failure. These are the things that cause us the anxiety and the stress that you feel is fearful. And of course, when it comes to our relationship with God, one of the things that that Christians proclaim is that they're failures. I know not everyone here tonight is a Christian. If, If you are, if you believe the Christian's message and teaching is that we all come to God as people who have dropped the ball, who have not measured up, and not like once or twice, but like again and again and again, that we constantly, moment by moment, fail to live the kind of lives that he calls us to. We fail to have the kind of faith he calls us to. We fail to have the kind of heart that he calls us to. We fail in our attempts to, to read and to pray through the Bible like we know we should. We, we fail in our attempts to treat others the way that God calls us to. We fail in our attempts to have a kind of purity in our relationship with our boyfriend or girlfriend that the gospel implies. We fail in lust and in greed and in selfishness. We fail all the time. And one of the things that I, I want to I challenge you to ask is right now, tonight, in what ways are you feeling like a failure? In what ways are you feeling like uh, you are not excellent, like you're not perfect, like you don't have it all together? Because when we come to this story, we see exactly that, someone who is who's a failure, who was messed up in a dramatic, public way, and everyone's going to know about it for the rest of the time. And what we're going to see is that like Peter, when we come to Jesus as failures, That's not how we leave. And actually, Jesus, in the midst of our failures, gives us a life of restoration. And he does that by creating for us an encounter of love. 
It's a loving encounter with Jesus that restores us in the midst of our failure. So we're going to look at three aspects of this tonight. Three things that happen when we come to Jesus as failures. The first is that he reaffirms his love for us. The second is that he helps us find our love for him again. And then the third is that he invites us into a life of love. So first, Jesus reaffirms his love for us. Uh, Like I said before, this is the first time that Peter and Jesus have had a one-on-one conversation since, since Jesus was arrested, since Peter betrayed him. And Jesus turns to him and he finally says something and he asks him this kind of weird question. Do you love me? Uh, that's not the question I think I probably would have asked, but he asked him, do you love me? Why does he ask this? Why is this so important? I, I think it's important because you don't ask that question to someone unless you deeply care and love them. That's the only reason you ask that question. That's not a question I would ask someone who I don't, who I don't love. I would not ask my favorite barista at Lexco, hey, I'd like a small coffee today, and do you love me? <laughs> and I wouldn't ask that because I don't really care what they say. Like, if they were to say no, I'd be like, fair enough. Have a great day. I'll probably see you tomorrow. Like, it doesn't bother me because I don't, I don't love them. I don't care. Now, let's say I ask my daughter, Ellie Kate, the same question. Do you love me? What if she says no? Then I'm crushed. Then I'm devastated. Then I'm hurt. Because I love her so much. My heart is so full of love for her that my deepest desire for her is for us to be in a relationship of mutual love and affection. That's why I would ask her that question. Or I would ask her just so I could tell her I love her too. You don't ask this question unless you love them. And this is what Jesus is showing Peter in this moment. He's saying, my deepest desire for you, my deepest desire for you is to be in a relationship of mutual love with me. He's saying, I see you, Peter, and I know that you failed, and I still love you. And that's what Jesus says to us. I see you. And I know that you're a failure. And I want you to know that I still love you. And my deepest desire is to be in this relationship of mutual love with you. I want you to know and to feel that tonight. When we let him down, Jesus' posture towards us is, I still love you. Jesus reaffirms his love for us. Second, Jesus helps us find our love for him Again, Jesus asked him this question, do you love me, three times. And at first glance, it feels kind of shaming, doesn't it? Like he's really rubbing his face in it. He asked him again and again and again. And he even says Peter was, Peter was grieved. Why does Jesus ask him three times? Well, he's, he's mirroring the three times that Peter denied him. And what's happening here is that Jesus is inviting Peter to revisit his moment of failure. He's inviting Jesus to go back to it, but he says, you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to face the fullness of your failure, but I'm going to go there with you. And I'm going to help you pick up the pieces. I'm going to help you do it. Jesus goes right to our, our place of deepest hurt and pain. 
but he does it with a purpose. And the purpose is to demonstrate that we don't have to reprove to Jesus that we love him. We don't have to earn back this relationship with Jesus that he wants to have with us. In fact, even though we're at fault, he's the one who's going to help us pick up the pieces in our own hearts towards him. So that means in, in those moments when you forget about what God's love for you, in those moments where you decide between right and wrong and you choose wrong and we do it all the time, in those moments when you don't know what to do and you pick the wrong thing, in those moments where you feel like, I, I just, to my core, I'm just nasty and selfish and dirty and dark and I just can't I don't love Jesus with all my mind, heart, body, and soul like I'm supposed to. That's ridiculous. Jesus actually comes into those moments and he gives you a chance to reestablish your love, to reset your eyes and your heart and your affections on him. Jesus has uh, big plans for Peter. This is the one, the Bible's going to say, the one that he's going to build his church on. Peter becomes the leader of the Christian church after Jesus ascends into heaven. And, and what, what we're getting at here is this, sec- this secret of the universe, this secret of life, that if you're going to do anything, I mean, if you're going to do anything, big or small, public or private, if you're going to start a business, if you're going to get a B- minus on an exam, whatever you're going to do, you must be rooted in a deep, abiding love for Jesus. must love him. So what does that mean? What does it mean to love Jesus? We, we talk about that all the time, right? Like, do we love God? What does that mean? I, I, I think loving Jesus, uh, there's a lot of ways to think about it. I think, I think about it in terms of trust and enjoyment and obedience. Do you, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust his character? Do you trust his teaching? Do you trust his care? Do you trust his power and his control? Is that more weighty? Is that more heavy to you than any other thing in the world? Do you enjoy being with him? This is the foundation of all relationship. Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you know what that means? Have you asked him to help you to sit with him, to be with him, to talk to him? to listen to him? Have you talked to your friends about what that looks like and how we might grow in that area? Do you have that peace that passes all understanding that comes from knowing him? And then do you obey him? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Do you trust him enough? Do you enjoy him enough that you're willing to follow what he says, even when it's costly? That's the love that we build everything on. And when we drop the ball, he actually helps us pick it up. And that's grace. That's love. He says, I'm coming to you in the midst of your failure, and I'm going to give you a chance to tell me again that you love me. That's actually really good news for us. Jesus reaffirms his love for us, and he helps us to find our love for him again. And then lastly tonight, Jesus invites us into a life of love. One of the beautiful things about this passage is that even though Jesus asked three times, and it's obviously very painful... He totally accepts Peter's answer. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, I do. And then what happens next? My, my guess is that Peter is wondering uh, probably the same thing that we wonder a lot, which is, do my failures disqualify me in some way in life? 
in my relationship with God, in my attempts to do anything in the world? Like, can God still use someone who's so messed up? Does God still care about having me as a part of this thing when I'm such a failure? Like, can I still show my face at small group when I've messed up this weekend? Can I still show up to argue after church and sit in the back row? Can I meet up with the freshmen and like, try to be a leader to them? Can I serve? Can I teach? Can, like, can I still do these things? And the good news is that uh, Peter, who has dramatically and egregiously failed the Lord, when, as this interaction happens, his task, his mission, his assignment is immediately reinstated and reaffirmed. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. If you, if you know the, the, the book of John and John 10, uh, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He's entrusting this job now, this care of his people to Peter, who's a failure. And then he ends this section with this broader sense of follow me. Jesus is saying, I I see you, and I know that you're a failure, and I still love you. And if you still want to love me, that would be great, and I still have big plans for you. Failure does not disqualify you, because I'll be with you. And so sometimes this can feel like, okay, Jesus is saying, all right, all right, Peter, I'll forgive you this one time, but now right back on the, right back on the tightrope. Now you've got to follow all the rules again. Now you better not mess up again. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to Peter, and he's saying to us, I still want you. I'm still going to work in you. I'm still going to use you, even though you failed. That's good news for us. He still wants you. He still cares about you. He still wants to be at work in you and through you. And one of the remarkable things about this story is that in verse 18, Jesus makes this prophetic statement about Peter's own future. And it's easy, it's easy to miss. Here's what he says. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. He's saying, you're actually going to be martyred. You're actually going to be crucified. This thing that you said you would do, follow me even to death, it's going to happen. The end of your story is not failure, it's faithfulness. So although that feels a little scary for Peter probably, that's the most encouraging thing he could say to him. I'm actually going to help you to to fulfill your promise to me. I'm actually going to use you in a way that glorifies God, he says. I am convinced that receiving Jesus' life of restoration, this encounter with love, actually begins with how we, uh, how we define who we are. Because what we tend to do is we defend to, to define who we are by either our successes or our failures. There's a, there's a magician named Derek Delgaudio. Some of you may have heard of. This is a guy who started out as a close-up sleight of hand magician, one of those guys who would get a table and have people around and he would do card tricks and they were just incredible. He won all these awards as one of the best magicians in the world. And he eventually, I think it's closed now, but he had a show on Broadway called In and of Itself. Yeah, In and of Itself. And, uh, which I've never seen. 
but, I, but I've read a little bit about this. And um, he, no one will tell you much about what happens in the show, but when you walk in the theater, it's a pretty small theater, about 150 seats. When you walk in the building, before you even walk into the, to the theater, there's this wall uh, of cards, cards on a wall, uh, on little pegs, over a 1,000 of them. And they say in big letters, I am, and then there's a different noun under each of these cards. And they say all kinds of things. Some of them are serious. Some of them are positive, some of them are negative, some of them are jokes. They say things like, I am a father. I am smart. I am a gardener. I am a ninja. I am a unicorn. I am a daughter. I am an idiot. I am a ray of sunshine. All these things. And, And what he asks you to do is for everyone to take a card and not show anybody and put it in your pocket. And the idea is that you're supposed to make this one choice. Pick this one label, this one way that you want to be seen in the world or that you think describes who you are. And at the end of the, at the, end of the show, 90 minutes later, he, he says, he ends the show by saying, uh, some of you, when you looked at those cards, you took it seriously. You picked a card that you really thought defined you or that really expresses how you want to be perceived. And if you're one of those people, uh, stand up. And on the night, uh, in an interview with This American Life, he said on this, on this particular night, about 100 of 150 people stood up. They've taken this card, they put it in their pocket, they haven't showed it to anybody. And what he does is he walks around the audience to each person, and he tells them what card they picked. And so he walks up to Alex, and he says, Alex, you're a singer. And he walks up to all these different people, and he tells them the exact card. He says, you are. And, and sometimes... Uh, it's really beautiful and empowering. Sometimes it's really heartbreaking. And on this particular night, there was a, a woman uh, in her young 20s, not much older than a lot of you here, and she had picked the card that said, I am a failure. And he got to her and he hesitated. Because <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say to someone. But the, the nature of the show, the nature of the trick is that you say it. And so he said, you are a failure. And she sat down near to tears and the show went on we come to Jesus with a card against our hearts that says I am a failure and he looks you in the face and he tells you what you are and you know what he says he says you are loved he says Zach you are loved he says Sarah you are loved he says, Faith, you are loved. He says, Donovan, you are loved. He says, Maggie, you are loved. You are loved. That your failures don't define you anymore. That your mistakes are not the label of the heart that you have when you come to the Lord Jesus. And so he asks you, and he's asking you tonight, do you love me? Can you face that question tonight? Can you hear the voice of Jesus' love for you in the midst of your failures? Can you allow him to go with you into those deepest places of pain so that he can help you to find your love for him again? Because when you do, he restores your life and he will use you to be a forceful love in the world. Because Jesus loves failures. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, 
I don't know what to do but to praise you that you love failures like me and like my friends here. Uh, And we come to you as people who have uh, struggled and stumbled in so many ways. Thank you that you see us and you still love us. Thank you that you go with us to those places so that you can bring the healing touch of your love because your deepest desire is to be in a relationship of love with us. And thank you that it doesn't disqualify us, that you still want to use us and work in us what you think is important in the world. That is so good. Lord, help us to have the courage to name and come to you with our failure so that we can experience the freedom that comes through encountering your love. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.